there's been many times in my life where I have been embarrassed to say the name of Jesus, unfortunately. And maybe you've been in that same boat where you've been with your friends and you know you should say something, but there's just something within you that wants to hold it back. You know what I'm talking about? When you know that you should speak up in class, when you know that you should speak up when you're with a friend that doesn't know the Lord. You know, even this past week, I had an opportunity to share. And there's just something about us that wants to edit our profile. So what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a youth pal leader. I'm a leader. I run a rehab program. These crazy kids, you know, off the streets and they're into crazy stuff. So I give them hope, you know. I don't say that, just so you know. You guys are all right. But there's a part of us that has that temptation not to mention the name of Jesus. Why is that? Well, Peter Kreeft is a Christian philosopher who said this. Why is Jesus the most controversial and the most embarrassing name in the world? No one is embarrassed if you talk about Buddha or Muhammad or Moses. Neither Buddhists nor non-Buddhists are embarrassed to talk about Buddha. Why are almost all educated, non-fundamentalist Christians embarrassed to talk about Jesus to non-Christians? And why are almost all non-Christians embarrassed to hear such talk? If you don't think that quote is true and what he's saying is true, test it out. Next time you're with your friends that aren't Christian, just talk about how much Jesus has changed your life. And watch everyone around you just kind of like drop their jaws, you know, dumbfounded. They don't know what to say. They're like, oh, it's like, it's like you're talking about something very personal. And they don't know what to do about it. And they're looking at you like, oh, well, that's awkward. Let's just change the subject. I don't really like talking about religion. Oh, let's talk about Buddhism. Oh, I love Buddhism. Let's talk about Buddha right now. Like, people will talk about anything as long as you don't bring up the name of Jesus. Why is this? Why is the name of Jesus so controversial? I believe that's because, just like Colossians 2 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in the name of Jesus, the very name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, there is something that is countercultural. There is something that people don't want to identify with. They're okay with Buddha. They're okay with Muhammad because Muhammad and Buddha doesn't tell them to lay down their lives and to change everything that they're doing, to deny their desires and to embrace Jesus. Now, Buddhism and uh, Muhammadism, that's not a thing, Islam, both say one of those things in a very different way. Buddhism just says all desires are evil. Don't desire anything. And Islam says, on the other hand, that you should give up, surrender. The word Islam actually means surrender, but has a very, very different connotation to it than the name of Jesus. And no matter what you believe about him, there's no one who has impacted human history like Jesus Christ. You see, Buddhism, it just sounds good when you're like, oh, yeah, I just like to deny all desires. Like, you like to do that? You desire to? Well, no, because that's a contradiction. 
And in Islam, it tells you just surrender everything. But the God of Islam has nothing to do with love. It's nothing to do with sacrifice for humankind. And that's because it's not real. But the name of Jesus is a name that strikes something in us, I believe, because there is power in the name of Jesus. So we're going to do some role playing right now before we even get into the study. But um, I need a volunteer. Great. We're going to have Mike do it first. Mike, why don't you come up on here? Everyone give him a hand. So we've talked about this before. You're going to use that mic, Mike. When you're evangelizing, just so that you guys know, when you're evangelizing, any time that you're lost in conversation, who do you bring it back to? Jesus, yes. Exactly. So when you're evangelizing to someone, you might ask them a question such as, well, who do you think that Jesus was? Jesus. I'm not asking you. <laughs> but this is a good thing for you to take notes if you, you weren't here in the previous weeks. Anytime that you don't really know what to say, just bring it back to Jesus. When you're stuck in a debate, when you're stuck in an argument, who do you think that Jesus was? Don't answer that. You're going to ask me. I'm going to play the role of a person who's a skeptic. Mike is going to be the one evangelizing to me. This is so it's okay. practical for you guys. Now, Mike, I want you to ask me, who do you think Jesus was? Wait. And I'm going to respond. And we're going to have a conversation. All right? So you're trying to evangelize to me. Go. All right. Who do you think is Jesus? Who Jesus was. Yes. <laughs> I think Jesus was, you know, a good person. He was a good teacher. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to guide me along? Or... Aren't you supposed to guide me? I thought you were supposed to guide me. You're evangelizing to me, Mike. Okay, well, what did you say? Who, okay, I who, think he was a good teacher. Right, let's start over. Okay. Who do you think Jesus was? I think he was a good teacher. What's the standard of a good teacher? Um, I don't know. He's able to teach people, and they're kind. I can teach people. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I bet you're a great teacher. Thank you. You're too kind. And Jesus is probably a lot like you. Well... What, how do you know Jesus is a good teacher? I don't know. You got to find that out. I, why? <laughs> All right. Give him a hand. Someone else. Do I have a volunteer? Guys, this is a time that you can take. If you're you're going to take this seriously, and not that Mike wasn't, but just in case any of you are feeling like you're going to make this into, um, what? What are you saying? Angel's looking at me like. This is a time that you can take seriously and really grow in your evangelism skills. So is there anyone here that would like the challenge? Why don't we have Hannah? All right, Hannah, you're going to ask me the same question, and I'm going to give you the same answer. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, who do you think Jesus was? I think he was basically a good teacher. Why just a good teacher? 
uh, well, because he did nice things for people and, you know, a lot of people have written about him. And Well, he didn't just do nice things, you know. He was born by virgin birth and he did miracles and he also died on the cross. Really? Yeah. Well, how do you know that? Because it records it in the Bible. Well, how do you know that the Bible is true? The Bible is true because there is evidence from archaeological discoveries and all that good jazz. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't know there was archaeological evidence for the yeah. Bible. Do you, can you name some discoveries? Well, I'm pretty sure there was a discovery of a temple or something, and they had found artifacts that traced back and matched up to uh, stories in the Bible. Really? And how does that differ from any of the other books, like well, the Quran? Well, the Bible or? is true, and all the prophecies that they've recorded have come true. Can you name a prophecy that came true? Rats. Um, <laughs> well, they've recorded a lot of uh, the stuff, the prophecies they've talked about, like with Islam and just how Israel, what's the decline of Israel and just what's going on now and current events. Hmm. I'm starting to match up. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. Great job. Now, who is asking all the questions? Me. Great job, Hannah. And you know what? She has a lot of, lot of things that I'm sure that she could answer for me for a person who's genuinely asking the questions. But it's good to shift it back onto me, too. So, um... I think if I was a real skeptic, I would at this point be like, wow, I never knew that there were discoveries. I never knew there were prophecies and things like that. So it's going to make me think about it. But what you want me to do is not just go in that direction. You want me to answer the question, who do I think Jesus was? So that's really important is that you bring it back to the question of Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord. You know, he's not just a good teacher. And because of that, we want to talk about um, the gospel. In other words. So is there anyone else that wants to give one last shot? Aaron. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Really? But ask me the same question. Same question? Yeah. What do you think of Jesus? Uh, ask me the same question. This... What did they say? Just for Mike's sake, because Mike's like, this is not the same question. It's not fair. What is it? Who do I think Jesus was? Oh, who do you think Jesus was? Uh, you know, I'm not really even sure that he existed. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> do you want to go to my atheist club? <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> oh, boy. Why don't you think Jesus existed? Well, I just don't know if you can really believe the Bible. You know, people have changed over the years and stuff. So I think that people just made Jesus up. Really? You think that nothing in the Bible about him is true? Uh, there might be something, but I don't, I don't really think that we can believe that Jesus existed. I mean, do you have any evidence that Jesus existed? Well, the only evidence that I know of is in the Bible, and the reason why I believe the Bible is true is because um, they found older manuscripts I've seen, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are um, 
I don't know the exact time after, probably less than 300 years, mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit after that, but they're pretty close to the original time when it was written, so it hasn't been changed much from the original nice. scriptures. And um, what's in there was recorded also by a uh, man who wasn't even a Christian. It was it Josephus, I think it was his name. Hmm. Um, if you want, I can Facebook you later, the information when I look it up. Um, but yeah, I think there are plenty of sources to show that he was a real person. All that matters after that is believing uh, what he said uh, in the Bible, in the recorded works that he did on the earth. Now, hold on. If the only evidence for Jesus is in the Bible, why would we believe that he existed? I mean, if like, if he's a historical person, wouldn't other people write about him? Especially if he did all the crazy things that he did. Well, that's what I was trying to say is um, the guy Josephus who wrote about him was a Greek historian, from really? what I remember. He I did not know about him. <laughs> yeah, he was... Uh, not involved in the Bible. He was actually just another man that recorded Jesus because he was such a popular figure in the day. He did miracles and he was, uh, it was heard around the world who he was and it spread so quickly that people were writing about him, even people that didn't write the Bible. Great, thank you, Aaron. Great job, Aaron. You see what Aaron did is he was able to give me some evidence that caused me to consider. And we're going to go over some evidence for you guys today. But first, let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. There is no more important question than the question of who do you think Jesus was? Who do you say that I am? And every single person at some point in time is going to have to answer that question, whether it's now or at the end when Jesus returns and people will either call him Lord. Well, either way, people are going to call him Lord. But um, the question is whether they're going to be under the judgment or Lord as in he is reigning in heaven as well. So what does the world say about Jesus? Well, Hinduism, in Hinduism, many Hindus believe that Jesus was a good teacher and perhaps one of their 330 million avatars or incarnations of Brahman, they would say. Buddhism, Buddhist believes that Jesus was an enlightened man. In Islam, Muslims believe that Jesus was just some of 124,000 prophets that Allah has sent. But they even acknowledge that he was a sinless and blessed man, but they don't believe that he was God. Now, some skeptics believe that Jesus didn't even exist. And that's what I brought up to Aaron today. And if someone brought that up to you, would you be able to give a defense? Would you be able to give any evidence for the belief that Jesus is God? And just to give you some background, you don't need this evidence to believe in Jesus in the first place. It's not like you need the Bible plus other outside sources in order to have this genuine faith. Just like you don't need evidence in case, um, if, by way of analogy, I've used this before. If you were convicted of uh, 
or you were accused, I should say, of murdering a family. And you're brought to a court and they had all this evidence against you. And they said, well, we know that you've done this murder, but you yourself really know that you haven't done the, the murder. You don't need any evidence to prove. And just because the evidence points the other way, it doesn't mean that you therefore have to change your belief about it. Like, well, maybe I did commit the murder. No, you yourself know basically from a very basic standpoint that you didn't commit the murder. So it's not like we need evidence to hold this belief in God, but to demonstrate it to other people, it's good to have this evidence. So what is the historical evidence for Jesus? First of all, we got the testimony of biblical sources, and that's what Aaron alluded to. The Bible is the word of God, and if the word of God is true, anything opposed to it is false. And if the Bible says that Jesus is God, we can believe it. Now, that might be not very convincing to a person who's a skeptic because they're going to be like, well, the Bible is biased. Well, the Bible has, uh, you know, of course they want it to be true, so they're going to write about Jesus and whatever, whatever else. So we also have testimony of secular sources as well. First one is Cornelius Tacitus. Spell that corn, C-O-R-N-E-L-I-U-S, T-A-C-I-T-U-S. Cornelius Tacitus. He has been called the greatest historian of ancient Rome. This is what he wrote concerning the great fire in Rome during the reign of Nero. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Here's a guy who doesn't believe in God. He's an enemy of Jesus. Writing about Jesus proves that he actually was a real person. And we also have just Josephus, the Jewish historian um, that Aaron also mentioned. This is what Josephus writes. At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. That's pretty amazing for not being in the Bible, right? And here's a guy who's not a Christian recording the things that Jesus did, which testifies of his existence, and you can also infer other things. Now, it's very important to remember that just because the Bible is, you know, written by Christians, that doesn't deny its historic value. And even New Testament scholars who aren't even Christian that read the Bible would still value it as historical evidence. Now, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Well, we know from Romans chapter 9, verse 5, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. 2 Peter 1.1 says, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear. The Bible says that Jesus is God. There's other references as well. Well, who does Jesus say that he is? Well, we know what the world says. Good person. I don't really know if he exists. Yeah, he was probably an enlightened man. We know the Bible says that he's God. What does Jesus say? Maybe Jesus didn't actually believe he was God. Oh, wait. No, he did. John chapter 8, verse 57 through 59. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? After Jesus speaking to them, being like, yo, Abraham, my boy. He didn't say that, but 
Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Why did people want to pick up stones and try to kill him? It's because not only did he say that he's God, but he said that he is Yahweh, which is the name I am, as you remember from Exodus chapter 3. So it's pretty clear Jesus didn't just claim to be a God. He claimed to be God, Yahweh. Jesus didn't give us the option of calling him whatever we feel like. He wasn't just like, eh, you know, you can call me homie. You can call me homeboy, home slice. He didn't say that. C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about him, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that, left that open to us. He did not intend to. That was C.S. Lewis who had that quote. Pretty amazing. So C.S. Lewis right there, to break it down for you, he came up with something called the trilemma. You might want to write this down in your notes because it's very useful. And whenever a person says, oh, I think that Jesus was a great moral teacher or whatever, this is what you can bring up to them. In other words, what he's saying is Jesus claimed to be God. Now, either his claim to be God was true or either his claim to God was false. If he claimed to be God and really was God, then you can either accept him or you can reject him. Now, let's say that his claim was false. If Jesus' claim was false, either he knew it or he didn't know it. Either he knew that his claim was false and he would be what? He would be a liar. If I know that what I'm saying is false and I'm telling you, I'm lying to you. So Jesus would be a liar and therefore not worthy to be remembered. We don't call a person who says, hey, I'm God, but I really know I'm not, and goes and deceives millions of people. We wouldn't call him a good person. We call him a bad person. And we know lots of people have claimed to do that in the past. Now, if he didn't know it was false, let's say he said, I am God, and he, did, he really thought he was God. He would be crazy, like those people that we see on the streets that think that they're God and they're homeless in New York City. We wouldn't call him a good person. We wouldn't call him a good moral teacher. We'd call him crazy, just like a lot of crazy people that think that they are. So here's the trilemma. You only have three options. Either Jesus knew he was God and it really was God, or his claim was false and he knew it or he didn't know it. If he knew it, he was a liar. And if he didn't, he was a lunatic. Therefore, Jesus is either lunatic, liar, or Lord. Very useful tool that you can bring up to someone. So when someone says that to you, well, I don't really, I think he was a good teacher. Why would you call him a good teacher? If he was a good teacher, but he wasn't God, he was either a liar or a lunatic. Get it? Good. Let's move on. How can we prove, though, that Jesus is God? This brings us to the second half of our discussion tonight. Okay, we might be able to tell someone that he was a lunatic, liar, or Lord, but we still haven't given any positive reasons why God uh, Jesus was God. All we said is, well, we think that he might be or we think that he might not be. But how can we prove that Jesus is God? 
Well, we do that through the resurrection. Because you see, without the resurrection, our very faith is in vain. It is the foundation of every single thing that we believe as Christians. Now, in our world today, you have some people like Rob Bell, who comes out of the emerging church movement, who wants to discard these kinds of beliefs. Who says, you know, Christianity needs to be flexible like springs. If you have a trampoline, you take out a spring, you can still bounce on that trampoline. And it bounces pretty well. But if you have a brick wall and you take out a brick, that whole wall might crumble down. We can't have Christianity like that. So, you know, you take out the virgin birth, it still works. It's a trampoline. You take out the resurrection, it's a, it's a trampoline. You still bounce around on it. It still works. False. Even Paul the Apostle himself said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to write this down, pretty lengthy. You're free to turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, of the dead then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. Here's something very interesting. Y'all know what Pascal's wager is? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Pascal's wager, you've heard of it before. People will say, you know, if I die, and I'm a Christian, if I die, I've lost nothing because I've still lived a good life. But if you die and you're an atheist, you die and, um, you know, you could go to hell if you're wrong. But if I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. That's Pascal's wager. But what's interesting here is he says in 1 Corinthians, uh, if Christ is not risen, your faith, is, your, faith, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And we of all men are the most pitiable. Interesting. He says there's something to be lost, really, if Christ is not risen. If this is wrong, we should look at ourselves and be like, wow, we have wasted our lives. Very interesting. And we're not going to get into that tonight. But is there good evidence? Yes, there's great evidence for the resurrection. Paul stakes the entire Christian faith on this wager, whether the resurrection of Jesus really did happen or really did not happen. This is the greatest feat that was ever recorded in history. And so to remind you of the evidence for the resurrection, you can remember it by the acronym FEAT, F-E-A-T, FEAT. Greatest feat that was ever recorded in history, and it's an acronym as well. It stands for F, fatal torment. E, empty tomb. A, appearances of Christ. T, transformation. Fatal torment, empty tomb, appearances of Christ, transformation. So here, here's something that you can take away from tonight. If you're ever in a conversation with someone and they don't believe that Jesus is God, what you can tell them is there are four evidences that the majority of New Testament scholars, both Christian and non-Christian, believe and trust in as historical fact 
And what you do with those facts is up to you. And that is the fatal torment of Jesus, which led to his death and burial in a tomb by Joseph uh, that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. E, empty tomb. The tomb was found empty by a bunch of Jesus' women followers. A, appearances of Christ. There was uh, people, over 500 witnesses, claimed that Jesus appeared to them after uh, he died. And T, transformation. There's been transformation of people's lives, like Saul of Tarsus became Paul. And we see that there's amazing opposition for Christians. People were burned at the stake. But even in the midst of that opposition, Christianity grew. So those are the four facts that New Testament scholars agree on that you can present to someone as historical evidence. And what they do with those facts is up to them. But first, fatal torment, Jesus was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. Someone might say something like this. How do we know that Jesus really died? What if he faked his death? I mean, I know that people are saying, like, we saw the Passion movie or whatever. What if he really didn't die? Well, in response, we would say, Romans were really good at killing people. If there was anything they liked to do, it was kill people. It's not like they just beat him up and like, oh, wow, I, I guess we didn't really kill Jesus. After they, you know, took a spear to his side and he gushed out water and blood. Here's historical evidence proving that Jesus really was dead. And even if Jesus barely made it out alive, how could he convince anybody that he was resurrected from the dead three days later? Just imagine Jesus barely escaping his death, crawling over his disciples and saying, hey, I'm resurrected from the dead. And like, oh my gosh, get to an ambulance that we don't have because it's not, it's 2,000 years before ambulances. So instead, New Testament scholars agree to the truth of the biblical account that Jesus was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea because, number one, Joseph of Arimathea is unlikely to be a Christian invention. Some people might say, well, what if people just invented this Joseph guy? I don't even know who Joseph is. Well, why would they invent someone who was a Pharisee who was responsible for killing Jesus and then say, oh, and by the way, he decided to make him a tomb and give him a proper burial? Wouldn't it really make sense? If anything, if you're going to make it up, why wouldn't you take an enemy of Christ and write it? And secondly, no other competing burial story exists. We haven't found another burial story that says what happens to Jesus' body. So we have good reason to believe that it really, uh, Jesus really was buried in this tomb. Secondly, we have an empty tomb. Now, some people might say something like this. How do we know that the disciples didn't steal the body of Jesus? Okay, the, the tomb was found empty, and that's a historical fact. But how do we know that people didn't go in and snatch it? Well, number one, Roman guards were to protect the tomb with their lives. These Roman guards had this strict policy that if anyone was to break this Roman seal that was on the tomb, they could be burned to death. Now, why would the Roman guards want to be burned to death for something that they knew was false? No, it wouldn't happen. Dr. George Curry, a student of Roman military discipline, wrote that the fear of punishment produced flawless attention to duty, especially in the night watches. And it's not like they could just fall asleep and then wake up and be like, oh no, a two-ton rock just got moved all of a sudden. Come on, peeps. Secondly, which leads to the second thing, which is the tomb took about 20 people to move. Thirdly, what was the motive? Why would the Christians want to steal the body of Jesus? 
to pretend like he was God? I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. If they knew that he wasn't God, why would they steal the body and pretend like he was? So if anyone wants to disprove Jesus' uh, Jesus's resurrection in, in his day, all they would have to do is walk over the tomb to see his dead body. Historian Ron Sider concluded that if the Christians and their Jewish opponents both agreed that... I can't talk today. If the Christian opponents and the Christians both agreed that the tomb was empty, we have little choice but to accept the empty tomb as historical fact. That's a pretty bold quote right there. Thirdly, appearances of Jesus. We're on to A. There were over 500 eyewitnesses of the risen Christ at one time. One of the earliest records of Christ appearing after the resurrection is by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul's just appealing to the Corinthians saying, hey, listen, if you don't believe this, you can just ask one of the 500 people that actually saw this happen. Now realize that in most courtrooms, just two witnesses is good evidence for a case. Imagine 500 people showing up to court to prove that Jesus resurrected from the dead. You would have the most famous trial in all history. Now, what people would say is, what about hallucinations? How do we know, this is the skeptic, he always says, how do we know that the people, the 500 people, didn't just hallucinate and thought that they believed that Jesus resurrected from the dead? Well, firstly, it's theoretically impossible that this many people can be tripping out at the same time. Secondly, Jesus appeared to 500 people over a 40-day period. It wasn't just like one day. That's a really long trip. That's a really long hallucination. Well, if you believe it so strongly, you will see him. And thirdly, the last point is, when you have a hallucination or you see a ghost or you see your friend that has died and moved on, you don't suddenly believe that, well, I saw the ghost of my friend and therefore they're alive. You say, well, therefore they're really dead. I saw the ghost. It wouldn't cause you to believe that they're really alive. So hallucination theory, pretty lame, pretty weak, no evidence for it. Finally, number four, transformation, the T. Something happened 2,000 years ago. Think about it. Your entire calendar is based on the fact that something happened 2,000 years ago. The world itself was transformed. Think about the amazing spread of Christianity in the same city. Dr. William Lane Craig writes, One of the most amazing facts about early Christian belief in Jesus' resurrection was that it originated in the very, very city where Jesus was crucified. The Christian faith did not come to exist in some distant city, far from eyewitnesses who knew of Jesus', Jesus death and burial. No, it came into being in the very city where Jesus had been publicly crucified under the very eyes of its enemies. So not only was it in the same city, but also in the same time period. Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts 2 occurred within 50 days of Jesus' resurrection. And we see people's lives change. Paul the Apostle was willing to die for his belief as, as many of the disciples also in fact did. And why would anyone die for something they knew was false? Many of you guys already know this, but if you think about it, some people might say, well, look at the terrorists. People die all the time for what they're willing to believe. Yes, but the terrorists die for something that they hope is true but no one dies for something they know is false. What motive would they have? If they, the disciples stole the body, for instance, or they knew that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, why in the world would they be willing to be tortured and killed 
for a belief they knew was not true. So all these four evidences, uh, F-E-A-T, just so you can remember, uh, the fatal death, you have um, the fatal death. The fatal, I'm blanking out now. Fatal torment. <laughs> I memorize these guys, just so you know. Fatal torment, empty tomb, appearances of Christ, and transformation. All those things testify to Jesus' resurrection. So in conclusion, as Brooke Foss Westcott, a scholar, says, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing. It's not like you just have to believe these, these things blindly, but you have good evidence for the things that you believe. So it's up to you whether you want to know these things. It's up to you if you want to study these things and find out whether or not it is true. That first fact that I screwed up when I said fatal torment, that actually is because in the past I've always said that there are four facts. The first one is that Jesus existed, which is true. So I guess you could say five facts. But um, that's one that I forgot about. It's the burial of Jesus in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. But in addition to all that we've learned today, hopefully what you've gathered from today, I know it's a lot of information. Hopefully if what you see in conclusion for all the things that we've learned today you know that you have good evidence that Jesus existed and that Jesus resurrected, which is pretty amazing. So when you ask someone in a conversation, who do you think that Jesus was, now you can back up your belief that Jesus really was God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we be able to um, just simply declare who you are to other people. Lord, we know that this evidence might not be enough to convince some people, but it gives us that assurance that we're on the right track. And perhaps it will convince a couple of people that we talk to, showing that we're not just doing things blindly, but we have good reasons to believe everything that we do. We know that you're a living God and you have acted in history and you've changed people's lives 2,000 years ago and you're still changing lives today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see what you're doing in our hearts and what you're doing in our world and we'd be able to share it with one another. So thank you, Lord, for this night. Pray that you go before our time of small groups and hanging out and everything that we do, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.